it's uh, it's great to see you guys again. I think everybody here was here on Saturday. Is that am I right? Recognizing all the I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yes. Great, great, great. Well, good to see you again. I want to thank you too. Um, um, most of you. Uh, submitted some anonymous feedback through our survey, and that was really helpful. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Um, we're always, you know, these are these are concepts that are are deep in us, and uh, this is what our life message is and what we're doing. But it also, you know, we're we're still learning how to communicate it well to others. So we appreciate um, that you took the time to do that. And uh, again. So tonight we just kind of wanted to follow up with some of the, maybe talk about a few more things, but then just make sure there's, there's plenty of space for questions and conversation. Um, I know in the surveys you submitted, a lot of you uh, included some good questions in there that hopefully we can get to. So again, as, as we're talking, we want to make sure this, you know this is an open forum, so please raise your physical hand, raise your Zoom hand, um, or just raise your voice as you have thoughts, comments, and questions. So um, I'm just going to start out kind of, uh, yeah, move into some disciple-making material, and then uh, we'll hear from Louie some too. Josie, my lovely wife, is uh, discipling our, our children to bed right now. So hopefully she'll, she'll be joining us as soon as she gets through Berenstein Bears and um, all the, the good night routine that is. Um, so, okay, so I just want to briefly um, kind of recap the three, I would say, what the three most important concepts that we talked about last week, which were uh, love would be first, and then second would be love, and then third, I think, a close third would be love. Um, <laughs> just, you know, first John, that we love because he first loved us, and God is love. John thirteen thirty four that that Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you're my disciples. And then he teaches us about the servant nature of, of, of what love is, what relationship is, and the death that that requires when he says, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. So the, the full measure of love, the fullest extent of love's expression is to lay down our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and again, we, we just, just can't say it enough that when we're describing disciple making, when we're describing what it means to follow the method of, of Jesus and making disciples, that, that this is not about a curriculum. Be freed from trying to having to create a program, but just be, be free to have a relationship and a friendship. Um, I think I mentioned the master plan of evangelism as a, as a great tool. And again, I love what Dr. Coleman says when he says that Jesus's concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men uh, whom the multitudes would follow. Men were to be his method of winning the world to God. So again, this is not about reading the right book together. This is not about signing uh, people up for the right class, but it's understanding that our friend, our disciple, the person that we are reaching out to, um, it's, it's their life, it's their story that sets the curriculum. And that's why listening and that timeline is such a big deal. Because as you know your disciple, as you know your friend, and you understand their story, their highs, their lows, their their successes, their failures, their strengths, their weaknesses, their gifting, their insecurity, as as we 
as we understand all those things, that's where we see God at work in their life. When we know their story, that's where we discern how, how God, uh, where God is leading us in the relationship. There's you know, a great book, I'm sure a lot of you have read this by Henry Blackaby, the idea of the book Experiencing God. And I love the, the, the basic thesis of that text is find out where God is at work and join him there. Find out where God is at work and join him there. And that same principle applies to those people to whom we're reaching out. That's why it's so important to listen. And I know for me, I'm quick to go to the question. When I'm thinking about, okay, Lord, here's this person in my life. I feel like I should invest in them. I have an opportunity to to pour into them. And I go to the question, God, what, what do you want me to teach them? Like, what do you want me to talk to them about and show them? And that's not a bad question, but I I think there is a better question. And that is this, God, where are you working in this person's life? What are you doing in this, my friend's life? And how can I join you there? Um, Yeah, I think we'd be hard pressed to study the life of Jesus and discern a, a clear workbook or a program but that his strategy was so beautiful in its simplicity. And it just was about being together, being together. Another quote from the master plan of evangelism. I know I quoted a lot. I've read more books than just this one book, but it is such a great book. Uh, And he says this, having called his men, Jesus made a practice of being with them. This was the essence of his training program. Just letting his disciples follow him. And, you know, and Paul repeats that same thing in First, or first Corinthians 11, 1, where he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, that sounds like a pretty good strategy uh, when you're the faultless son of God or the apostle Paul. But what about me? Like, if you, if you knew my past, if you knew my struggles, if you could hear the thoughts that rattle around in my head, you know, we might just be thinking, well, I'm just an ordinary person with an ordinary job, no theological training, no seminary degree. I'm not a counselor or a pastor or a priest. I'm just an ordinary guy, an ordinary gal. I'm not sure that letting people follow me around would be the best training program for anybody. And that's why I take so much courage from uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 13, um, when Luke writes, when they, meaning the high priests, the rulers, the religious leaders, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and mm-hmm. took note that these men had been with Jesus. Mm-hmm. So these are the ordinary men that the book of Acts says turned the world upside down. And so how, how do ordinary people do extraordinary things? They were with Jesus. And so, you know, we want to make sure we're getting real practical tonight with what disciple making is and does. And I'd say the first and principal practical thing is to understand that my success as a disciple maker is predicated upon my abiding in Christ. My first work as a disciple maker is to remain in him and for his words to remain in me. And then I will bear much fruit, John 15. Uh, and, and that's the same thing as, as a husband, as a father, as a friend. My principle, the best thing that I can do is to abide in him and his word abide in me. And, that is, and, and the beauty of that is I don't have to be perfect or have it all together to make disciples. 
but I'd better be remaining in him or dwelling in him, abiding in him. Because John 15 also says, apart from him, I can do nothing. So this idea of, of being together. Um, so how do we do this? We do this by being very intentional about creating rhythms and reasons for togetherness. And that requires intentionality because our life kind of takes us in a lot of different directions. Um, and that's why it's critical that we're intentional about creating rhythms and reasons for togetherness. And now I know in, in our community in Chicago, um, we build, there's a lot of things we build into our, our calendar that help do that. You know, we, we share a, me, a weekly meal together where we sit around the dining room table and we prepare a meal. We, uh, we, we do the Lord's Supper together. Um, uh, we also, you know, pray together. We'll read the scriptures together, just share together. So that, that's one way that we have togetherness. We also host a weekly Bible study um, that we discuss different things. But just, and that, and that kind of hits a different group that comes to our Friday night dinner group. Um, you know, in the past, I've met with a group of guys at 6 o'clock in the morning at McDonald's, which uh, I'm a big fan of McDonald's breakfast. You can judge me if you want. but it's about as good as it gets to me, and it's like three dollars. Uh, but but that but that rhythm in that season made sense because these guys were all working nine to fives, and so even though I'm not a big fan of getting up dark and early, we had that that weekly rhythm where we were together, and we were we were talking about real life. Um, I know Josie. Um, we have a, a friend that Josie's reaching out to, and she has two young little kids and is trying to work from home, and and so Josie watches two of her kids. Um, for a one morning a week and her friend comes over to drop them off and afterward and that's a rhythm where they get to visit you know during the drop off and afterwards so there's ways that we can serve other people that create these rhythms a reason for togetherness even just you know praying together uh, is a real simple thing because we all need prayer um, a group of guys getting together for first Friday lunch you know there's just lots of things take walks with people do a project together if you're project oriented um, but it requires planning and it requires initiation. Um, but it's also Jesus's chief strategy. So we, we would do well to give time to that. Um, so that, yeah, so togetherness to relationship, but I also want to. Right. Question. Yes, sir. Is, when you start with that, is there a mutual understanding of what you're trying to do, or do you win people over through just being with? Yeah, good, good question. And from my experience, it, it just depends. Um, if I don't know exactly where a person is at spiritually, um, I'm probably not going to approach them and say, "Hi, I'd like to disciple you." Um, will you meet with me at nine o'clock every morning? at Starbucks, um, but I, I, would, I would pretty much do the same things, you know, the same intentionality, the same asking questions, the same trying to serve and lay down my life. Um, but there are other relationships where I, have, I do formalize it. Um, I don't know, Louis, how would you respond to that? Um, I think, yes, and what you, I agree with what you're saying. And, one, how do you approach friendship with a new friendship? You know, you, <laughs> you don't necessarily say, here's, here's the intention. Uh, I have this intentional friendship with you. 
Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's like we looked at last time where Jonathan reached out to David, the greater to the lesser. And that's what Jesus did with his men and the pursuit there and the, and the importance of that. But you can't expect them to go, oh, this is what I wanted. This is wonderful. This is great. Okay. It takes years, months and years to get to that point. You know, with Jesus, he took three years with his guys. And so you can't expect non-discipled people to behave like disciples. You can't expect non-discipled people to want to be discipled. They don't have a frame of reference for it, you know? And so, so what you're doing is you're, you're, you're building the friendship, the trust. It's a slow process. Um, and, um, and, and that's kind of how you, you know, you work your way up. And at first they're going to be like, well, I'm not sure about this. So this is weird. Okay. You're 30 years older than I am, or you're old enough to be my, my grandmother or my grandfather, or I've never had anybody ask me over their house before. So at first they're going to be like, what is going on here? Um, but that's part of the process. See, we're so used to in the church having these programs that you just step into and everybody knows what to expect. Um, but here you're going for people who don't know Jesus, who don't have a frame of reference of church, who don't come from good homes. So anyway, I'm done. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> um, okay. So, Okay, so we're putting a lot of emphasis on the relationship, but but lest lest you assume that this is, you know, we're just all about being buddy buddy with people and hanging out. Um, I want to talk briefly about the role of the word of God in disciple making. Um, you know, Jesus's words in Matthew twenty eight says, "Therefore now go, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go into all nations, or go make disciples of all the nations." baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. So, so he, he's telling us, he's describing, I mean, first of all, his life has just depicted what disciple-making is. But then in that statement, he's saying, okay, make disciples, comma. So what is that? That's baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that's teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So, so when we are making disciples, we are teaching people how to obey Christ. Like we are not teaching people how to be better people. We're not teaching people like, you know, seven steps to whatever Stephen Covey's um, got going on. We are anchoring them to Christ. This is not self-help. We are not pseudo counselors. Um, but I would say this looks different depending on the person. Um, you know, a number of years ago, I was, I was discipling a young guy who was in Bible college. So he was getting, you know, saturated with Bible. And so in our times together, we didn't sit down and open up the Bible and like do a Bible study. He had plenty of Bible study. He needed integration of every, all that scripture in his head, into his life. So we spent a lot of time just talking about what's going on in his life and how do we apply the truths that he's been learning towards it. And that was appropriate for that relationship. Um, another young guy I'm discipling right now, um, you know, not connected to a church, not very biblically literate. And so we decided we're, we're going to get together. When we get together, we're just going to study through the book of John. And we're going to read that. You're gonna, we're going to read one chapter a week. And then when we get together, we're going to discuss that chapter. Because he needs to take a spiritual vitamin in the word. Um, 
so I think, again, that's what, that's another critical part of understanding a person's story to know what kind of food that they need to be eating. Um, and it's also critical as we handle the word of God, it's critical that we understand that everyone is on a journey. And we as disciple makers are to journey with them. You know, and, and to recognize that our journeys often take people down into the ditch. And relationship gets down into the ditch with them and brings love and brings truth of the word down into that ditch with them. You know, a, a mentor or a guru can, can stand up on the road and, and drop truth and, and cliche down into the ditch and say, here you go, this is what you need. But a disciple maker gets in that ditch and cries and grieves and hugs and sits in silence and uses the truth of God to help restore and support our friends back onto the road and back on their journey. Um, by way of illustration, I would say, Louie and Josie and I are, are in a, um, a pretty good-sized ditch right now with, uh, with a guy in our community um, who is super sharp, super servant-hearted, super good-looking guy, um, but just for whatever reason, just can't see that himself and can't, it's very difficult for him to feel love. Um, so, Louie, can you describe a little bit, you at Liberty, describe a little bit what that has looked like, being in that ditch? And No. Okay. Um, <laughs> We're in, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so, we, all live, we do all live together for you guys to understand, so. <laughs> um, okay, so that's, that's the idea of, of this is, yeah. The word of God plays a central role in this. Um, as much as we're elevating relationship, you know, that, that is, they are companions that walk together, the relationship and the word, always. Um, any thoughts or questions on, on that thought? Well, what, what, what I can say is, um, you know, that's why I think discipling is a team. When I say that is where you guys are communicating and where you, when, when you're stuck with someone that you as a team can say, okay, what do we need to explore? Like we work with a neuropsychologist who helps us with when, when there's some kind of uh, health issue, mental health issue. Um, we work with a trauma psychologist who help us with, you know, when we're just really stuck um, and they're, they're disciple makers themselves or believers themselves. And so they, they help us, um, uh, understand what's going on and what steps and a learning disability. If a, if a woman or a man that you're working with has a learning disability, you need to take a totally different approach compared to the guy who will read all the books you read or a woman who will read all the same books you read or asking a person with a learning disability to read the Bible. Okay. So you, you tailor what, what Ryan is saying is you tailor make it for each man and each woman um, as you're, as you're discipling them. And that's, that's the problem with a curriculum approach. It assumes everyone's at the same level. Okay. Just like you didn't raise your kids all the same way. You understood we had to adjust for each kid. So you adjust for each one of your disciples. Yeah. Jack, I see you got your hand. Yeah, Ryan. Um, how do you, how do you do that practically? with someone whom 
the word of God may not be part of their frame of reference. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I, it, it, I guess it depends somewhat on the nature of the relationship. Like there's, there's some people who the word of God may not be part of their frame of reference, but you, you could say, Hey, you know, would you be interested in, and reading the scripture once a week and talk about it. And, if, and that makes it a natural way to do that. If that's, if that's not the reality or if that door is not open, um, then I, yeah, then I, again, I think that's where trusting that the impact of your, your life is going to, and, and that's why, you know, to lose, um, where Louis was talking about making disciples in community, I think this is where that comes into play, Jack. Like if you are inviting, inviting someone to be a part of your world and be a part of your community, it is, there was a guy in Little Rock when Louis and I were in Little Rock, his name was Brandon. Um, he was an atheist. He was a good atheist. Like he'd written his own human manifesto. Like he was serious. He wasn't just a trendy atheist. Um, but, but he started hanging around with the group and the, 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 he didn't connect with the Bible stuff. He didn't really believe in the God stuff, but he saw the love that the brothers were sharing for one another and for him. They, he saw the relationship, of, especially with one guy, Michael, that really, um, really poured into him. He saw the love of the community and really he felt belonged. He, like, he felt like he belonged. Like, uh, and it's a cool story. I mean, he was just sitting in his pickup truck one day all by himself with the engine running. And he just sat there and said, do I have any reason not to believe in God? And he said, he said, no. Like, and and he, so he started following Christ. And it wasn't because someone was sharing a lot of scripture with him. It was because he was seeing the scriptures lived out before him. And he couldn't deny the power of that. Louie or anybody else, would you add to that? Or have a well, let, let me point out the obvious thing that our brothers and sisters in the first century didn't have the New Testament to use to disciple people. Okay. And then up until the printing press 500 years ago, which means for 1500 years, our brothers and sisters who followed Jesus didn't have copies of the Bible. So how did they make disciples? So that's where being creative in the stories of, Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, uh, apart from the Bible. The, the Bible was meant to be heard, not necessarily read. Just like Shakespeare was meant to be heard, not read. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't read your Bibles. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, just think about how did our brothers and sisters do it when they didn't have the New Testament? Yeah, my question is, um, Louis, you mentioned consulting um, I guess specialists. At what point? At what point do you do that? I mean, is that do you wait till something comes up? And how did you connect with those people? I mean, did are they part of your community or um, do you understand my question? Yes, we we I'm we are very intentional of finding people who work in those fields like learning disabilities. Um, psychology, 
you know, you know the trauma psychology. You're you you will have people who are traumatized. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, you will have people who have significant uh, issues. Some of those are just emotional from their how they grew up. Some of those are physical. They're you know, a learning disability is a physical problem. It's not, you know, it's not a spiritual problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so certain certain people you're discipling will have a physical problem with their brain and so you need to figure out you know have somebody else who knows more than you do uh, more than we do okay how do we help and what would be the best way for spiritual formation um so um so anyway uh we we intentionally look for those and it's phone calls you know it doesn't have to be that to live in port alberni you know it could be there somewhere else in canada or here in the states and we can hook you up with the you know, a couple of the people we use even, and um, uh, just, you know, get help that way. Because I think we become frustrated because we go, how come she's not getting it? What is wrong with her? Mm-hmm. And that's, whenever we find ourselves in that situation, we don't go, what's wrong with her? We go, what are we missing? Yeah. You yeah. can't expect a non-disciple people to, people to figure out what the problem is. You know, that's why, and that's where as a team talking about it and different spiritual gifts you guys have. To be able to, help and with that. is that something that the person that you're discipling would know that you were doing? Yes. Permission to. Do? Oh yes. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Hey, we're in this together. Come on, you know, let's let's go figure this out. Let's go. I'll go to the appointment with you. Um, yeah. You know. And have people been open to that on the whole? Oh, oh yes. Yeah, good. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Thank uh, you. Louis, I would also say it's not, it's, we, we also use those people as um, sounding boards or reference point, like not referring every person to oh, right. with a neuropsychologist or with a psychologist, but we may call Dr. Rao and say, hey, we've got a friend that this is going on. Help us think through this. Like, what do we do? And, you know, he just helps us think through those things. Um, right and well like someone if they've been sexually abused getting them with a trauma therapist you're not just a therapist but a trauma therapist mm-hmm. and so we, then we find find work with the person to find the therapist and say, help with the appointment and sometimes you drive them to the appointment because they're scared to death to go by themselves you know mm-hmm. and that's the reality if you're going to work disciple lost people this is the reality of our gener- you know the young generation these these issues so i have a question um how do you how is it that you choose the people you wish to disciple especially if they are atheists or or hate god for some reason um does that make them then a bad candidate or like how do you choose who you're going to befriend Ryan's doing the talking tonight. So. Oh, you, but you're, yeah. Um, why did you choose me, Louie? Why did you choose me? Um, yeah, I, I mean, this is going to seem like a cop-out answer, but I, I think it just depends on the person. You know, when, so we read Francis Schaeffer was a great, I mean, 50 years ahead of his time, great Christian thinker. 
couple generations ago. And, you know, he used his ministry called Labrie out of his house. Great. Another great book I would commend. See, I have read two books. Um, <laughs> although I don't think I ever finished it. But, but one of his guiding <laughs> prayers was essentially Lord lead us because this, their house was the center. They were inviting sojourners from all across Europe to like come and be in their house. And one of their guiding prayers was Lord lead us to the right people and protect us from harm. From the from the wrong ones, and you know when Louie and I moved up there, 15 years ago to Chicago, that that was that's really been our simple guiding prayer: Lord, lead us to the right people and keep us from harm. Um, I, I, I mean the Holy Spirit, and again, not not to cop out, but I think the Holy Spirit, and you know, and again, what is what is the curriculum? of disciple making is suffering okay mm -hmm. and if you have suffered you are qualified to be a disciple maker that mm -hmm. is your training school okay and your suffering is a unique um on a unique wavelength and there's certain people that you just automatically connect yeah, with because their suffering is similar to your suffering i just forgot when you meet people, um, you know, because Maureen asked that question, right? Yeah, yeah. Maureen, there's certain people who are on the, you, you're sensitive to, and that yes, they could be yeah. 13, 13 years old, they could be 30 years old, they could be 50 years old. You'll connect because of the dimension of suffering you have. And be like and, an inner knowing, Louis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And just, a, you know, you just can, you just, there's something there okay. that connects. You know, and and they they'll 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 want to connect with you. I mean, they'll be, be afraid at first, you know, because it's and, and once again, like I said last time, for these young people living in Port Port Alberni, if you don't reach out to them, no one ever will. Yeah. In friendship, you know, yeah. so some of it's just a, a conversation like that, and you just kind of tell you you smell their suffering. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, you sense that the Spirit of God connects you that way. Have you ever started with someone and then realized it wasn't going to work? And let them go? I mean, yes, but I always leave the door open because the Spirit of God knows how to orchestrate circumstances in their life perfectly to bring them to the point of brokenness or to a point of learning. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, when I'm stuck and when, you know, they don't seem to be, or they're just actually in disobedience. Right. You know, cause here's the other thing. Where's spiritual warfare come into this thing? Okay. Peter and Jesus, hey, Jesus says to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And we said, yes. <laughs> so you are going to be tested. You're going to deny me three times. And yep. Peter failed miserably. So what makes you think who you're discipling or your own children aren't going to fail miserably? But then part of the discipling process is to be there to pick them back up and restore them. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, that's a hard question to answer. You know, I don't know. It's a hard question to ask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Well, I don't know if I answered it, but well, I yeah, think, I think that is connected to the, the pursuit 
piece that we were talking about um, a little bit last time together. Mm -hmm. Um, because people are scared, because people have been hurt, because people build high walls to safeguard against those insecurities. Um, and I remember when we moved up to Chicago the first year, there was a guy named Jeremy that I met, and I just felt like, man, this is a, this is a great guy with a ton of potential. And so I pursued him. You know, it's funny to hear him tell the story now, uh, but I probably, I don't know, five times I asked him to come over to our place for dinner to hang out. Um, and he just kept saying, no, he, he says it because I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little hyper hypo, like extrovert. And he's like 11 on the scale of introvert. Um, but finally one day in spite of himself, he said, yes. And uh, he came over and he had dinner with us, um, Louie and me and the several other guys and, you know, all the other guys left. And then it was still just Jeremy, Louie and me there um you know he was just kind of sitting there in his silence and, and he said you know i need to go it's getting late but i don't want to leave because this is what i've been looking for all my life and i'm afraid if i leave i i might never find it again that's awesome yeah well we said go home and come back tomorrow like that's, <laughs> that's about but you know that's why you some you just have to keep pushing sometimes like and and, and recognize that people are going to push you away. People will drop a bomb. People will try to self-sabotage just to see if you're going to keep coming back. Am I valuable enough? Am I worthy? Am I worth your love? And they're not going to articulate those things, but their behavior is fleshing that out. And I think we do have to acknowledge sometimes that it doesn't always work out. And sometimes it's on my end. Sometimes it's on their end. But um, how, how, do I, how do I share a picture on here? See that share screen, that green arrow right in the yeah. middle of the bottom? Okay. Click it, and then you'll have to choose. Oh, he, no, Mike's not letting me share. Oh, there you go. He gave you the power. Can I do it now? Sure yes, you should be able to. Um, so if I just open the picture, then it should. Did you click share screen yet? Share screen. Okay, share screen first. Yep. And then, it, and then it'll give you some options of things to click on. Click on the picture or whatever you want to show. Okay. Uh, I'm almost there, guys. Just be patient. <laughs> this got 1,677 pictures to sort through. Um, okay, I'm lost now. Where am I? There's, here's me on the boat with Brad. Okay, here it is. Here it is. So this is oh, yeah. four generations. Louis on the far right is Ryan, who you guys see. And then Ryan discipled Jeremy. Jeremy's the guy he was talking about. Jeremy discipled Sean. And then Sean discipled Kyle. And this is at Kyle's wedding this last summer. You know. That's and awesome. That's, yeah. that's, that's what... That's how disciple making works. That's how it multiply. How it's not about churches starting churches. It's not about your small group starting in this new small group. It's about disciples making disciples. That's how the kingdom of God multiplies. Um, and that's and see and that's where for you guys want I, we want to communicate is you begin with the one. Okay, we're not asking you to start a program. I'm not asking you to start a small group. I'm not asking you to start a Bible study. But who's the one? that you and your wife or you and your husband or you and the, and 
let me back up. You know, it's helpful to have a team, someone else to help you get there. Some of you are sanguines like Ryan and can just walk in the room and go up to anybody and talk to them. Some of you are more like Jeremy, who's just shy as he can be. Um, but, you know, we begin with the one. And who is it the Spirit of God is bringing across our paths, wherever it is, not in the walls on Sunday morning at the church, but wherever it is. And, and for us to, you know, sense the Spirit of God connecting us to that. Which goes back to your point, Billy, of love limiting, right? I think love limit, but then love multiplies. Um, my last Robert Coleman quote, I promise, though, he says, though he did what he could to help the multitudes, he had to devote himself primarily to a few men rather than the masses so that the masses could at last be saved. This was the genius of his strategy. So the, the one... I mean, we, we believe firmly that we are changing the world around our dinner table by having one, two, and three people there. When we are disciplined to love small, we believe that God multiplies that big. Um, there's a, another book that I haven't read that I'm about to quote by a friend of ours, uh, Dale, Dale Losh. He's, um, he's the president of a missions organization called Crossworld, and he gives this great illustration of this, of the power of one. Um, he says, if we start with 120 fervent followers of Jesus and we send them out from one of our mega cities, Chicago or Vancouver, Seattle, and, eat, and we task each of them with making a gospel presentation to one new person every hour, 10 hours a day, 365 days a year, and if they kept doing that for the next 100 years, how far would they get? After 100 years of nonstop gospel sharing, just over 43 million people would have heard the gospel once. That's a lot of people. But unfortunately, it's half of 1% of the world population. Now this, what about this way? One believer making one disciple one time a year, multiplying year after year after year, what would the impact of that be? Believe it or not, in 33 years, there would be as many as 8 billion disciples of Jesus on earth. In other words, the entire human population. Now, it might be argued that making one disciple a year is too ambitious for a passionate follower of Jesus who's working full-time and raising a family. Maybe he or she needs two or three years to make, to make a disciple. But even at that pace, one person every three years, a single disciple maker could transform the entire world in 99 long years. That is the power of multiplication that's what happens when we choose to invest in one and that multiplication continues i love it and that's a lou i love that picture you you showed and to me that is a living illustration of second timothy 2 2 where, where paul says to timothy and the things you've heard me say paul to you timothy in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable men who will be qualified to teach others like that four generation that's how you know when it's working so can I ask, um, Ryan, obviously in, in reference in that scripture and what you're talking about, part of the discipling process is to help your disciple make a disciple. Absolutely. Absolutely. Walk alongside them as they're, as they're doing that. Because without that, there's, there's no fruit of discipleship. And 
and I, I want to be real clear there too. What that picture you're looking at 20 years. Okay. 20 years. Um, and you know, we didn't make Jeremy, let's see if Jeremy was like 14 years ago. Would that be right, Ryan? Yeah. 15, 14. Yeah. 15 years ago. And then he discipled Sean probably 13 years ago, maybe 12, something like that. So it's not, boom, look at this great multiplication. But, you know, each one of those guys is going to make disciples, and that's how you change the world. And that's, and that's why I think we get, as evangelicals, we feel guilty because I'm not discipling 15 people. I don't have this big Bible study. If you disciple one, just one, you know, you don't know where that's going to take. I have hundreds of grandkids and great-grandkids all over Eastern Europe because I discipled one guy 35 years ago. Okay, you don't know where it's going to go. See, disciple making takes you places that you just can't imagine. You know, you don't know where that woman you disciple, where she's going to end up, or where that young man's going to end up. Ev, your hand is up. Um, okay, so Louis, this is going back to where when you were talking about people with maybe mental illness or um or some kind of disability. What are your expectations for the outcome of that? Um, for instance, we have a group called I Am Second and, and some of the people come, they, they live with schizophrenia or bipolar. And you know, they've given their heart to the Lord, but they, they have a tough time because of their, their illness. What are your expectations of outcome in that case? Well, love, you know, seriously, and I'm not saying that lightly. I mean, that they would love and that they would receive love, you know. Um, and so, and for, for many of them, they have not experienced love because of the homes they grew up in or even the church often. I think you guys do a good job, but many churches, they're just, you know, they're not one of us, <laughs> you know. Um, and and you know what? Some of them are this. They're like people with mental um, disabilities. There's nothing they can do. I mean, they're we're there to serve them and to love them. And all maybe all they could give us is a hug back, and that's it. So so love ultimately. But then you know then what's tough about that question is is each one you have to tailor make the expectation based on their you know their gift you know whatever their giftedness is the severity of their problem. You know, um, yep. and and my and I and I think what we have to offer is hope. You know, for them that they can be loved and they do belong. You know, for us, it's it's for them to be able to know you belong to us, even if you have this disability. You belong to us. You know. Yeah. So maybe for us, they're there. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, can I just make a comment about um, finding um, who we would disciple or whatnot? I think we have to just never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit and how he sometimes leads people to us that um, circumstances are such that it's not necessarily that we were looking for that, but the Holy Spirit would lead them to us. And we did have that experience and ended up having a gal live um 
in a little apartment we had above our garage for about five years. And in the course of that five years, she, the healing she experienced, and it was a few people coming around her and discipling, but it was all being led to us. We did not go looking for that. So just the understanding of how important it is for us to listen to those nudges of the Holy Spirit and go where God's calling us to go in that moment. And uh, grapefruit. Yeah. Not grapefruit, grapefruit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think we would we would be remiss to be talking about disciple making and not talk about what is the role of prayer mm -hmm. in disciple making. And I think, I think it principally comes in two realms. One, obviously, prayer, you are unleashing the power of the heavenly realms uh, on this earth. And that is, that is everything. That is of, of huge significance. Um, that's where change and transformation happens. Uh, but two, I think not only that, but prayer serves a very practical purpose and that it makes me very mindful of the person that I'm praying for. Like if I am consistently praying for a person every day, every three days, once a week, I am constantly thinking about that person and what's going on in their lives and therefore makes me more considerate and involved in what they have going on. And I think, I mean, Louis, you do, you do a lot of things well, Louis, but I feel like this is one of the things that you do and my wife, Josie, like Louis, has printed off a bunch of pictures, um, which is decidedly old school. But my millennial wife has done the same thing. She, they, they both have their little tins, and they just pray through these pictures. And as they're praying, they're thinking about these people. And as they're praying, um, you know, their, their needs are coming to the mind. And then that translates into action, into their lives. Um, you know, I don't have a tin. I just have a list on my – I just started a note on my phone. I just kind of keep track of those things. And I think if, if guys ever get a text from me at seven o'clock in the morning, checking in how they're doing, it's because I'm praying for it. Like that's, that's where that's coming out of. Speaking of my lovely wife, who looks a little haggard because she's been wrangling <laughs> children. Josie, everybody, Hi, everybody. Josie. 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 Yes. We've had a long day. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we are in Josie's childhood home here on the, the Bachman. Yeah. Oh, the farm been in the family for generations yeah cool. popcorn farm yeah cool <laughs> keep buying orville redenbacher because uh that's that's uh they might be eating josie's family's popcorn wow i was looking for it today in the store and i couldn't find it is there a shortage <laughs> we'll talk to your dad tonight yeah. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um yeah. Any, Louis, any thoughts on prayer? Anybody, any thoughts on the role of prayer in disciple making? Josie, any thoughts on the role of prayer in disciple making? Well, it's interesting that that's what the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to do. Teach us to pray. Mm -hmm. I just have a comment that um, about prayer, um, I was in a job where I had 
um, opportunity to pray with people. I had a, an office where people had to come in and um, I was a scheduler. Um, so anybody that wanted time off because of, um, you know, family crisis and so forth or sickness, they would have to come to me to ask for time off. And so it was a great opportunity to say, can I pray for you? And I, my experience is that I never had one person turn me down. Every single person wanted prayer when they, they didn't necessarily believe in God. Even they said, you know, stuff like, well, I'll just take all the good feelings I can or all the good vibes that I can, but they all wanted prayer. And it, it impacted them to the point where they would come back like a month later and say, I think your prayers are working. And so it actually was a great way to, um, to start talking to them was just by that simple thing of, can I pray for you? I'm reminded too, Ryan, thinking about where you started. Well, very early on, you talked about the importance of abiding, um, you know, unless we abide and remain in him and his word remains in us. And um, I don't know how you do that without prayer, <laughs> because it really is about relationship, which is about communication, which is about, you know, listening and speaking and sharing of ourselves and uh, the things that are upon our hearts, which because of love will be people. <laughs> And, um, and so, I, you know, it's, it, prayer is so much a part of what it means to abide, which is what it means to, to know and love the Lord, um, irrespective of what we're doing in our discipleship. Um, yes, it's just crucial. Jack, who is your young grasshopper there uh, photobombing? <laughs> oh, that's Mary, our, our youngest. Hello. 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 Mary. <laughs> I love it. He, he's listening to the teaching tonight here. Good, 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 good. Um, <laughs> We're very approved. Yeah. Hi, it's Wayne. Hi, Wayne. Um, hi, Louis. I met you uh, at the Manchester yeah. Street. Yeah. Um, I remember. I remember. Yeah. Nice to see you. But just to follow up from Ev's question, like I'm part of the same group. I am second, and um, we have, you know, we've been doing the that every Thursday for 10 years and we have lots of different people who come and lots of people who struggle with mental health or addiction. Um, and you know, we've seen some people get better, but it's small, but I just, just listening and actually <laughs> listening to what Carol said too. We do have some people who just come to the group to support and like, would it be a good thing or would it be realistic to just, um, say to maybe some of these support people, why don't you ask so-and-so if they could use some prayer or if they want to go out for coffee sometime later in the week. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Yeah. And again, when you start getting to mental health too, I mean, there's, it's, there's so, there's so many things you have to be careful with and parameters. So, um, but you know, one of the things I would say is, okay, what about even having them in your home? One of the things I was, I just got read through today was Randy Ferguson is one of our friends. Who's one of the leaders of our ministry. And he just gave me his research that he's doing on the power of the table and you know the table in the temple the table of king david the table of king solomon the table of nehemiah the table of job the table of centurion where peter came the table of matthew in his home and he goes through all these tables in the bible and ramping up to the lord's table you know the the lord's supper and you know and and someday when we go to heaven we're going to have the marriage feast of the lamb okay and this is all god or um, initiated, um, and and I think the power of the table in our homes and in disciple making, um, you know, and understanding that power. Which okay, that's foreign to us as evangelicals in North America. We were not taught to think that way, and so and, you, and we've been frustrated. I've tried this, I've tried that, but have we tried the power of the meal, the power of the dinner table, and even with you know, you think about people with, you know, dis- disabilities, have they ever been invited into a home, <laughs> you know? And I think that goes back to the belonging piece and communicating and that our homes being a base of ministry. And I'm not asking you to become a great cook. I mean, I know some people who they just order out everything when they have people over. Um, it's, it's not like you have to be a great cook, but sitting together at a table and eating Restaurants are different because of the commotion and stuff, but in your own home, because you're, you're opening up your heart. Your home is an expression of your heart, you know, and people don't care what kind of decorations you got or how clean it is. You know, it's, it's the opening up your home. So even in answering to your question, you know, I just, Wayne, I just wonder how that enters into it because we tend to always go to the church house, you know, with how we do things. Well, and I, I wonder, Wayne, um, you know, it's a, it's a good question. And I'm thinking about the idea of, you know, love limits, the one-on-one, the, the more direct relationship. Um, you know, to some extent, it's, it's a small group-oriented ministry, which, which has great purpose and value in helping to break down some of the, the barriers. But ultimately, it's going to be the smaller connections, including the prayer as well as care, I think that... It, is going to continue that that work yeah. for some. And, and like, I think we do have some connections, but... I would say the power of the table is a big part of why, of the success of I Have Second, because we always meet and have a home-cooked meal. Sure. And it's, it, we've become like family over the years. I mean, they... Be- Uh, is that finished? I, I... We might have lost Ev. We've been losing her recently. <laughs> Just take... it dies. <laughs> Technology-wise, <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Like, if I could be really honest, like, I do go for walks with some people or have coffee, but if I could be really honest, there's some people I wouldn't invite to my house because I'd be scared for sure. my family. Or sure. 
or maybe even some that I don't want them to know where my house is um, sure. for other reasons. And, you know, I, <laughs> it's a tough one, right? Because God says we're going to have to suffer, but do you expose your family sometimes? And I, I, I can't do that. Um, but I, I do think there's opportunity for us to, because lots of people come and then you never see them again and they might come a couple of times and you never see them again and I do agree with Ev when she says it's a big family sort of at a meal but it doesn't some for a lot of them get more real than that it doesn't go beyond there and I'm just trying to think of ways that we can help with that um even if I just ask some of the support group, hey, Ken, could you ask so-and-so or if they if they want you to pray for them this week or if they want to meet up with you or start with that anyway. Yeah, I think that, I think creating a bridge um, to your home potentially at some point and maybe that is by um, meeting at a park maybe it is going to a coffee shop it's building trust um, it's building a friendship to the point where you eventually may feel comfortable having them in your home um, or you may never get to that point um, but I mean I think your ideas of yeah going to a coffee shop or entering into something that they're participating in or doing and meeting them wherever they're at is a great um, effort toward or making progress toward maybe eventually having them in your home if you feel comfortable with that at some point. Yeah. Well, and we wrestle with that in Chicago especially with re working with refugees so it's not we understand that. Um, yeah. It's yeah. not like we everybody we meet we invite to our homes we do not do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. It needs to be, you know, your home, part of this whole process is a safe place. Mm -hmm. And that's where when you invite people in, you know, they, um, it's safe. I just, I just talked to a man and his wife who stayed with us two or three times. And he says, Louis, part of the reason we come there and part of the reason we don't go in a motel is we walk in that door and we feel safe. We feel like we belong. And, um, and I was talking to that trauma psychologist about my own family and how my, my siblings, we really love each other, the seven of us. We, you know, we get along through my dad's and mother's death. We, you know, tough decisions about life support and we're just unified and, and, uh, and through the whole estate, there's not been a crossword. And I told him, I said, you know, I don't, I can't tell you, how my parents taught us how to belong. You know, we just know we belong. And at the funeral, hearing the grandkids talk about knowing they belonged to this family, the Clark family. And he goes, oh, I know exactly why. He says, Louie, I'm gonna ask you a question. Did you ever feel unsafe in your parents' home? I go, never, not one time did I feel unsafe in my parents' home. He goes, that's it, that's the reason. And, and that's part of what we're, I think the power of the home, the power of the dinner table is you just feel safe. I remember, I remember the first time I went to Mike and Carol's house. I can still remember it and how you just, you do, you feel safe. You feel like, oh, I belong here. Mm 
you know and that's that's an expression of the gospel that's the expression of god but we none of my theological training did we talk about hospitality none did we talk about the dinner table none did we talk about our homes being an uh, expression of ministry none you know So that's a question. Um, so 15 and 16 years down the road or up to 20, uh, from when you first moved back to Chicago and, and sought to um, live into this rhythm and um, model of ministry, would you do it the same as you did it then? Are there things you've learned that would cause you to say, oh, yeah. you know, what might help us or for some people who this might be relatively new or um, what, what might be helpful about the lessons learned that you've had? I, I, Ryan, I don't know. How, how would you answer that, Ryan, before I say anything? Hmm. Wouldn't have gotten that three-bedroom, one-bath apartment at the beginning because there were several times I was doing the potty dance, waiting for somebody to get out. <laughs> that happened a lot. Um, I, I mean, Fundamentally, I would say no. I mean, um, I th I think the huge lesson learned was to love limits and to, to that multiplication. That don't don't look at big numbers and be, think about becoming a big movement. And you know, look at all these people we're reaching and just limit it, limiting it. it. Um, I, I think that's one of the huge lessons I have learned because, you know, if you'd have seen me 15 years ago, I'm in big churches doing big stuff, you know, but it wasn't making disciples. Yeah. So I, I think, and I, I, that, and then, the, and I think the, the power of hospitality that the kingdom of God moves on the tracks in the stream of hospitality that is why the qualification of an elder is he must be hospitable, which we have you know, no point of reference for. When we hire pastors, when we hire staff members and put elders in place in our churches, rarely are we scrutinizing their family's hospitality record. <laughs> it's just not there. Ryan, would you add to that? What would you add to that? I mean, where, where we are 15 years later is not where we set out to be 15 years ago. Um, as in, I don't, we, yeah. didn't start, we didn't start with a five-year, 10-year plan. We just started making disciples and thought we knew where that was going to go, and it didn't, and it went a place even better. Um, so I, because I, I know I have a tendency to not initiate something unless I know where it's going or know how it's going to end. And I think that would have, that would have seriously impeded um, the disciple making movement if I would have insisted on knowing what the product was going to look like. But just and because we were doing it together, Louie, and if I would have just moved to Chicago by myself, that would have been a hard thing. But because you and I moved up there together and did that together, like it just became very natural and a natural extension or expression of our friendship. Right. And, and I would encourage as you guys launch out, don't do it by yourself. I mean, have, you know, a team, uh, either one other person or, you know, form teams of people to 
encourage one another and talk through it and you know don't you know Paul never Paul always ministered out of a team and when he did get separated from his hurry up and get back over here Timothy you know I waited anxiously for them to get to get here Paul writes oh yeah the longing and the affection that just dripping in all those epistles like oh sure And I think the reason is men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. I can remember specifically people seeing Ryan and I's friendship and saying, you know, what is that? <laughs> That's different. You know, and then and you're pulling your disciples, first Jeremy into that friendship and Toussaint and Khalid. And so then the friendship just grows and men will know Chicago knows we are disciples of Jesus by our love for one another. That is our witness to Chicago. Port Alberni, the witnesses, the, your people's love for one another, your love for your disciple, your disciples' love for you, that is your witness. That's what Jesus says. You know, I, you know, we put up, you know, we put up billboards and we pass out stuff, tracks, and we do big things. And I'm not against that. But what Jesus says, what our witness is, is our love for one another. And that's what discipling do. That's what you're doing. You're teaching your guy, your 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 woman, your discipling, your man, your discipling. You're teaching them how to love. I've shared the illustration more than once. I think the last time I was with you guys up in Chicago, and um, you were giving me a ride to the airport real early morning, <laughs> and to, probably to the wrong airport as well, because it's not the one that <laughs> close and. Uh, and we were, we were just talking about that as we were finishing sort of a group thing the night before. And I remember Toussaint just saying, oh, can I come? And it was like six o'clock in the morning or something. <laughs> and uh, just out of a desire to hang out, um, be with, uh, it just really struck me. I mean, it was just an amazing thing, a little thing, but, a, but an amazing thing. And uh, yeah, I've often shared that story of uh, that, that flows out of that sense of enjoyment of being together. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was pretty neat. It's good. Any other questions? Ryan, anything else? Um, I've got a comment to make. As um, you were asking, as the question was asked, well, you know, how, how, many, how many times do you ask somebody to, to be a disciple? It, it's um, somewhat different in that but I, when I was a kid, I was about, probably about 16, and my, my dad, who was a really good curler, um, he started to say to me, hey, how'd you like to come and uh, be on my curling team, which is in the men's league, you know, it's with adults. And, um, and I said, who would want to do that? Um, and, and, but you know what? He kept asking. Like, he probably asked me six or eight times, and I finally said, to, I finally said, after he'd asked me a time, if he asks me one more time, I'm going to say yes. Did you think I went to him and actually said, Dad, if you ask me one more time, I'm going to say yes? I didn't do that. And then when he asked me again, and I said, okay, he, you know, just blow him away. And <laughs> so I spent probably three years in high school playing on the, the men's, in the men's, uh, league with my dad 
and got to know him in ways I never would have got to know him. And it, I mean, it did, it changed my life because, because we did a lot of, we did a lot of curling after that. And it was just, you know, fellowship with people and stuff. It's not, not necessarily, it isn't related to faith, but, but, you know, just, Hey, you know, if you feel that you, you want to disable somebody, ask somebody into your life, just keep yeah. persisting until they say no. <laughs> anyway, that's all I have to say. Uh, one other thing I was going to add too is for those of you who are married and enjoy, you know, it's just relational coaching. You don't have to be a therapist to be helping couples, but premarital young people who Christian young people, they have the hardest time finding premarital, you know, and it's, it's different to have a therapist in an office or a counselor walk you through something versus a couple sharing with another couple. And one of my good friends, he and his wife, that's how they make disciples is through uh, premarital coaching. And um, if you want to have, because yeah, honestly, the, 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 they don't have any place to go. Our churches do, do a pretty pathetic job of premarital. So that would be one idea. And another, another thing is the music thing. You know, you guys are a great musical church and that transcends young people, you know, and even there being able to with the music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Louis, this, this week, Carol and I, well, we, we were contacted two or three weeks ago by um, a young couple we've been involved in. Uh, they were part of our community years back. And, uh, and they just said, you know, we're just in touch with these couples who are hurting. Can you help us? Yeah. And um, we met with 11 couples on Monday evening. I mean, you know, we're trying to actually help them help these couples, sure. ultimately. But just, the, yeah, I mean, these, these aren't premarital. These are postmarital <laughs> couples. Who are, well, that's true, yeah. They're all young, and they've all got kids, and mm-hmm. just this has just heightened the sensitivity and the struggle yeah. of this situation. Uh, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll send you the uh, organization that, we've used that does that. They do both premarital and um, marital. Um, don't let me forget, I'll send it to you. We had two couples go through the training just recently. 